Coach Edelstein here, your celeb expert and your celeb savant. Celeb Savant is a weekly entertainment show. We have long-form career retrospective type interviews with celebrities, singers, actors, and industry experts. Prolific in producing for the likes of Sony, EMI Records, Ninja Tune, and Daptone Records, and composing award-winning soundtracks for film, TV, and advertising, his industry and recognized work spans an impressive three decades of collaboration. From working with major and independent record labels to composing and producing for children's television, such as Paw Patrol, Rasta Mouse, Apple Tree House, and advertisements or syncs for Galaxy, DeLorean, Mentos, and Microsoft, to name a few. Up next on Celeb Savant, we've got composer and producer Andrew Kingslow. Where do we find you in the world? How are you doing? And what's happening in your life? Oh, my word. <laughs> the opening gambit. Where do we find you in the world? Well, you find me uh, most days uh, working from my studio in London or moving in and around London, uh, uh, working with artists and music artists, doing elements of mentoring as well. But I'm a music producer based in London that spends a lot of time writing for artists, film and TV. Let's rewind. At what age? Were you invigorated or motivated to get into the music world? And how did that journey progress up until present time? So the long form or hybrid version of Andrew's journey. <laughs> this is this is quite fun. I mean, the, I, I noticed the um, I noticed that the that the word savant in the the uh, title <laughs> or yes. in the podcast title as well, which, which is quite fitting actually, because music for me wasn't so much. Um, and I, you may hear this a lot, but is it for, you know, from a genuine sort of like authentic point of view from me, I just saw musical instruments. Actually, uh, to be specific, my sister brought a guitar home to the house when we were both at primary school. I was four. In fact, no, I wasn't even at school yet. Um, I was four. She was six. I just kind of thought, oh, what's this? This, what, what does this thing do? This looks interesting. Pick the yeah. thing up and just before I knew it, I was, sort of working out how to play certain stuff it's super simple you know nursery rhymes and things but i'd work that out at which point it's like okay this is interesting this is for me and it kind of really the first few years that it, it, it wasn't like a remarkable thing but then by i think by the age of seven something just clicked and i just wanted to do music and then it was like what other instruments can i bring into my life fortunately i had a very supportive upbringing my parents were very supportive and encouraged anything to do with music from wh where I was from wasn't particularly an affluent area so to be able to uh, you know follow some something different that might be able to kind of elevate you from the situation was great for them and they were super supportive but I it would I would start uh, oh I need to play drums so I'd, they'd find me drum lessons oh now I need to play piano so they'd find piano lessons and the whole thing kind of snowballed and it got to a point where people were starting to notice. So it was suggested at that point, maybe that I do an audition for a place that I'd never heard of, but quite a famous uh, music school where they gave scholarships to children that showed a particular musical talent. And I was successful in my application, <laughs> which led into me essentially spending seven, six or seven years incredibly intense uh, musical education, oral, oral training, instrumental training, that the whole day was kind of like structured around that. I mean, we could, move, we could go on later into what that means later down the line in life. Mm. But at the time, this was a super 
uh, on honoured. You know, it's a, yeah, it's a, a very. I was in a very lucky position to to have been given that. But I spent the time there. Uh, after that, it was really music was just the progression. After that point, everything I did, I kind of consumed music. I heard it in a very clear way. So I ended up going and doing a degree in music, essentially for a while, playing with. Uh, various sort of symphony orchestras in and around the north of England. I'm originally from Manchester, okay. uh, which then brought into some London orchestras. You know, the the, the north kind of the Liverpool Philharmonics and Halle orchestras that are quite well known colloquially around the northwest and, in fact, in the country. But then I kind of realised um, there was a there was a lot of driving around, a lot of moving around, and it's quite a transient lifestyle. Um, you were you, were, you you know you were hand to mouth. You were eating from gig to gig. You were looking mm-hmm. for your next gig. It's the the trials and tribulations of being a musician essentially. And um, I started to try and think to myself, well, how how do I move a, a sort of transition from this into a more kind of like. A creative role in within music and uh, one where I actually can see I'm, I'm building myself a future I guess uh, which involved me basically but taking to 10 20 quid from every gig that I ever did that was a cash gig I'm gonna say and put, literally I swear to god putting it in a shoebox under my bed <laughs> <laughs> and I collected this money in a, in a shoebox and until I got enough money together to buy a second-hand Apple Mac. Now, I'll give you a clue as, as to my age now. That was around 99, 2000. Mm-hmm. I, I saved £110 it cost to get myself a Mac Quicksilver, at which point I thought, right, I'm going to teach myself to be a producer now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there, there's the road to ruin, I think. It's like... <laughs> If you, if you ever wanted to give yourself, um, what's the word? Um, oh, God, oh God, what, what's the word when you, that, that theory when you, 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 you never think you're good enough. You might know this. Imposter, the imposter syndrome. syndrome. Imposter syndrome. If you want to give yourself imposter syndrome, decide to do something where whatever you do is judged by anyone and everyone who knows nothing about music yet is allowed to have an opinion. You know, I spent three, four years kind of messing messing around and thinking yeah i'm great no i'm rubbish no i'm terrible no i'm brilliant and eventually uh, i managed to sort of uh, make contact with some of the sort of better known uh, people within the manchester community sort of producers and djs and the likes and ended up kind of working quite closely with them which was that that's the fun that was the funnel into getting my own publishing deal down the line and then that publishing deal led into more growth and moving me into tv and film so i signed with Sony. well they were emi then but changed to sony quite quickly in 2009 i had quite a long relationship with them did a lot of tv stuff did a hell of, I, I toured a lot as well in the interim you know i've, I've toured I've, I've graced the stage with anyone from as varied as bb king through to oh god i don't know the, the pop acts of the time as well all, all sorts a lot of blues and soul I did. So what was running concurrently with, uh, or alongside, should I say, the production stuff was the touring. So uh, during that time, I ended up creating uh, or becoming, having a, a quite a good relationship with a label, uh, a team of musicians called the Dat Kings, uh, who I now work with quite uh, very closely a lot, which has led me to do some really exciting projects. So my journey, who I am, what I am, it's a bit of a mishmash. <laughs> of lots of different things it's all it's all based around music and it's give it's given me great opportunities but at the post the sony years i well post i mean during i probably burnt out in around 2015 took a year out and then i've slowly been transitioning back into music in a way that's uh sustainable 
for mm-hmm. uh, you know at my point in my career and not and to make sure that I don't burn out again as well. In a nutshell, I've always done music. I'll always do music. And now we've also transitioned with my business partner into sort of looking after other artists and doing kind of um, mentoring as well, like I said earlier. But yes, that's it in a nutshell. Okay, so lots to unpack. First of all, you mentioned (laughs) that you have learnt and have had lessons and you know how to play a number of instruments. Are there any instruments that you prefer over and above the other or you like them equally the same? Okay, so each instrument brings its own set of uh, enjoyment and set of things to the table. I always gravitated towards keyboards and piano um, simply because it, it felt the most complete. Especially as a producer, you can't tend to think of orchestration whenever you sort of approach a project is how do I orchestrate this? Orchestrate to me doesn't just mean using the, string, the instruments of the orchestra. It means how do I arrange it from top to bottom and left to right and everything in between. Um, and piano, not only can you see everything in front, I'm actually looking at my piano, which is just there, but not only can you see every single key in front of you, you can also see how they kind of relate to each other sort of in a physical way. And, yeah. you know, the, the, the way, the way you, you've got octave one and it laps into octave two, three, four, five. It's just there. It's complete. It's everything for you to see. I can see, I can look at that piano and I, I see Bach. Rachmaninoff, I see Debussy, I see Elton John, I see Ray Charles. Every single artist brought something to that to a keyboard, made themselves sound completely individual. Yep. Yet the keyboard itself is just the same. It's the same medium. It go it goes for all the instruments, but that's the first one that resonated to me in that way. Quite interesting to me when I start to unpack it myself. So now tell us um, your journey at the, the school that you mentioned that you got a scholarship at. What did you learn? What was the school like? Was it only music? Uh, tell us about that experience. I mean, I can, I'm, you know, I'm quite open about it. It was, it was, it was a place called Cheaton School of Music. It was local to me. Um, and <laughs> I think... Honestly, to every child, there were like 2.6 teachers. It was the most ridiculous, but I mean, they weren't all full time, but in terms of staff versus pupil, it was incredibly intense and very privileged. It was, it was very, uh, focused. It would be split every day. There would be an element of, um, oral training every day. So the, you know, interval recognition for those that are sort of like musically, um, aware, uh, you know, that are listening. It, it would be, yeah, interval recognition. It would be pat- memories of patterns. We'd be doing um, things in retrograde. We'd be doing twelve. Not everything that you could think of. It was, it was all. How can I put it? Incredi- incredibly focused. Just incredibly focused. And then, uh, you know, after that point, it, we would move on to uh, instrumental lessons. There'd be choir. There'd be orchestration. There'd be music history. All of this at the age of eleven. <laughs> by wow. the way, so. Wow. And and you think, you know, you're a sponge at that point. So yes. what I learned and what I, you know, retain from that experience plays into my life every day. Uh, on the potential flip side of anything like that, you're asked to, you're asked to move from childhood to adulthood very quickly mm. because the responsibilities that come with that form of learning and that intensity, you, you know, they had a similar this again, this was a long time ago, but mm. there, there was a very, um, I don't know, similar ethos to say that of the, the Russian ballet schools at the time. It was oh, super. Yes. If I, without, without saying too much. So, yes. you know, there were, it's, it's a very, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go as far as draconian, but certainly strict 
Yes. Uh, and so the time was run for you. And, you know, we were practicing at quarter past seven in the morning. School started at eight, half eight. School finished at half eight at night. <laughs> oh, was, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a hot house, And, you know, further down the line, you think, where did my childhood go? <laughs> you, I mean, it was great fun and we're very resilient as children. But there is, it does come to that point. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a balance, isn't it? It's what you get from, you know, what you get from something you have to give back somewhere else, I yes. think, in life. And mm. were there a lot of kids at the school? Nah. <laughs> no, there were about, I think per, per what we call set, there were about 25 okay. per year. Okay. So the, the school in its entirety had about 200 children. Now, then you mentioned that at a period of time you had uh, that imposter syndrome of whereby you were, <laughs> Doubting and then you're good and then you're doubting. So during those periods of time when you thought to yourself, oh, I'm rubbish, as you mentioned, <laughs> how did you pick yourself up and say, okay, I am good. I'm okay. Was it affirmations from outside or was it yourself that brought yourself up to say, okay, well, I actually can do this and I'm doing it. I, do you know what I think you've got to do? You've got to, you've got to look at the overall not the, it, this is about being macro and not micro because it's okay to feel like you've, uh, you, you failed in what you set out to do at any point. But, but the micro part of the creating is that not everything's going to hit and not every, everything's going to hit right. But if you can actually take a moment and look at your macro achievements mm-hmm. and what you've done with time, yes, then th- I think then then it shows. I mean, th- the other thing is you don't tend to remember the wins as well as the losses. As much yes. as the losses I know exactly well. what you're talking about. I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. It's that thing, and something I read recently, actually, is that the human brain spends something as high as 80% of its time having negative thoughts, and and it's how we amplify or hold on to those thoughts that will kind of define the imposter syndrome. So I am definitely trying to not say think in the third person, but step out of myself when I'm having that moment and think, I'm just having this moment, and later this moment will have passed. And I'll be on the next phase. So it's almost like you go into you go into an auto mode when you know it's coming. So you think all I need to do is put one foot in front of the other, and I will get through this field yes. of doubt. And one and once I'm through it, then yeah. So th- there are definitely ways to do it, but I think the other thing is to be to be realistic about where you are in your career and 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 where you're at, and try and try to make sure. You know, you hold yourself accountable to everything that you do. You are you are critical of what you do, but also in a way that's encouraging yourself to improve, not get negative and just draw draw away from it. Because I always found that success happens when it's ready to happen. You can't mm-hmm. force success. You just keep doing the same thing. This, consistently do the right thing. And successful yep. function. <laughs> yes, I know exactly. You know, I, you're giving me so many aha moments as we're talking because my brain is the same as yours. <laughs> yeah. So I love the fact that you've said coming, stepping out of it and observing it as a third person, even though it's still yeah. you, allows you to give that perspective and objectivity to know, okay, it's not failure. It's not negativity. It's not doubt. It's this little moment in time and just to pass through it. So thank you for that aha moment. I love it. <laughs> the, the process of creation 
it is the same. I mean, you see a lot of memes, 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 memes uh, yeah. about it. And, 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 and you do. It's this, I'm brilliant. I'm rubbish. I hate myself. I'm not yes. too bad. That's brilliant. And we <laughs> constantly go through this cycle. Yeah. That's the, it feels like the cycle of life, but there we go. Now let's run the production hat. When you're oh, producing, okay. specifically for an artist, mm-hmm. what is that process? Do they come to you? Do you approach them? Unpack that process of when you're creating for an artist and the collaboration of how it rolls out. Oh, right. Well, I mean, there are a number of different types of um, uh, production processes. Is that, that there could be the one where you write with the artists, uh, at which point you've kind of got to create. Oh, right. Okay. So first of all, I think before you take any project on, yes. you have to ask yourself and, and the artist, what what do I and can I bring something to this? Okay. Is this for me? Is this for the artist? Can this work? For, do you even just listen to the music or where you think music, the, the direction of the music that they want to go to. If this is something, and it, I'm going to use this word again, and I think it's possibly kind of a buzzword at the moment, it's authenticity. Can I bring mm-hmm. authenticity to this project? If I can't, if I'm working around it and I'm trying to emulate authenticity, then I shouldn't, then this is the point where I think maybe I should step away and they should find the right person. Down the line, people come to you because of the work that they've heard that you've done. If you've got a big enough body of work, then you can kind of cut stage one out because they've come to you knowing that you can bring authenticity. Okay. After authenticity, it's compatibility. Oh, yes. It's off. Are we are we actually going to be able to work together? Because at the end of the day, you've got to create a very close relationship within a very short space of time. You yep. need to be able to be very open very quickly. Otherwise, you're going to it's going to be a, a very stunted process, and you will not hear the truth in the music because you can't be truthful to each other. Exactly. So, so yeah, authenticity, compatibility. After we've got to that stage, it really then does boil down to creating the bare bones it, like, like for me my, my preference is a, an album project or a longer project not just track by track okay. but a body of work. because exactly. then within the body of work you can express different emotions within yes. each song you're not it's not like i need to get everything out in this one song and show mm-hmm. the world who i am it's like no we, we've got time it's so so I think after that point, it's a, it's about building the bare bones. Say if if they brought a body of work that's been written, it's about identifying exactly what it is that the song is trying to say and using, I guess, musical onomatopoeia. You use the music to drive the emotion, so that when the words come through, that they're supported and there's no there's no uh, dichotomy or paradox, whatever it is between the music. There's no uh, disconnect between the music. Uh, and, and the lyric there's no there there are no rules as such mm. i mean there are there, in in the sense that you're there are confines in like a bass has to do a certain thing and a piano plays in a certain way and fits mm. a certain way the way in which you then express through those instruments is so open to the to the feeling between you and the artist as well yes. it's to say and another analogy that you used to use when you're producing a song or writing a song you're looking at like um i don't know a sheer cliff face and you're yes. looking at that okay. one finger holes to get you on your journey and it's like where how do i do this it's there it's all there to be done but it's the journey that you take okay. to get to the top that kind of cre- <laughs> creates the song i know there are these are it's, these are just ways that i sort of like feel when i'm starting on a project it's yes like, what do i do now? 
that blank canvas thing is uh, is an incredible, incredibly daunting situation as well, actually. So yeah. it's it, it's become a lot easier for me now because uh, there, there's certain parts of it that I leave to my subconscious. But the bottom the bottom line is emotional connection, authenticity, and compatibility. I think it's very interesting hearing this. And then when you're approaching production for an artist compared to production for music or song for a movie or for an advertisement. Yeah. What are the differences between those? Okay, so it's. I mean, I I would say that uh, if if it if it's to a picture, then the music is a slave to the picture. Okay, is there to support the picture? I'm, I'm slave's a strong word, but it's yes. certainly it's definitely second fiddle. It's there primarily to either create tension to support supreme case in point horror films you've yes. got the most inane kind of like that someone going just out buying a coffee but you got this yeah running underneath and already you know there's something awful about to happen it's the what music can do to pictures just in one drone or a certain choice of instrument really drives the the listener and the viewer's experience of what the film's doing in production for a song or an artist song, the production is absolutely a slave to the song. It should never get in the way of the song. Mm-hmm. It should support the song. It should it should carry the lyric. And I mean, this is me talking from a song songwriter perspective. I generally, tend to work with songwriters, so my personal experience is that I'm there to make sure that the emotion of that song is captured and delivered in the most genuine. An elegant way possible. And with advertisements? Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Right. Well, you got, generally speaking, you've got a, a main 29 seconds or yes. 15 seconds to create the, the arc. Yes. The classic. We talk about the arc of the music and an, yes. and an advert, a very short arc. Yes. <laughs> so is it more it's, difficult it's, for an uh, advert or is it easier? Yeah. yeah. Would you it's, find out? No, God, no, it's not. Well, I mean, we we go into a different. We go into a different world there because you know, with an artist, as long as I please the A and R and the artist, everyone's happy. With an advert, I've got a whole creative team. Yes, a whole creative team that you're working through, and a lot of ad work has been done. If you know, ad work gets done to uh, it gets thrown out. It's a brief, so it'll get thrown out to multiple parties. So not only are you competing against yourself, you're competing against a whole bunch of other people who are also competing against their. Uh, imposter syndrome. At the same time. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we all talk about the fab- the fable ads have these big sort of paydays. You know, if you get the right ad and it gets mm. a worldwide blah blah blah, it's a, yeah, it's a big payday. But oh, to get there, it's it's a it's a tricky one. I, I generally tend to work work on the eighty twenty principle with yep. most things in my business now, and I will put twenty percent into something that has a n- not a very heavy. Uh, success rate in mm-hmm. writing for art, you have to be super succinct you have to hit the emotion in, again incredibly quickly and you've got such a short time to do it now it is it's been it's been great but you're creating a world in seconds you're creating yes, a musical exactly. world and you've only got a number of seconds to do it and it's it's an art form in itself to be honest yeah. and um, yeah but is I I spent a lot of time working with some quite big ad uh, companies. In fact, you know, at one point that I, I was working on the same piece of thirty second music for one month every day. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I know. So, <laughs> and I think we went through seven cellists, seven different performances on cello. 
all playing the same melody until we found the right one. And this is and this is when you've got multiple creatives involved as well. You are you, you're a producer in a way because you're trying to appease all the different parties. You, yes. you're, you're talking to the financial side of the business. You're talking to the creative. You're talking to the visuals. They've all got a different idea of what they want, and yeah. everyone's in the middle trying to work out. Well, what is it that we all really want? Yeah, <laughs> it's all based on perceptions. Yeah, semiotics. It's, it's the power of suggesting. You're trying within, within advertising. You're trying to make some. You're trying to create a call to action. You're trying to make someone do something mm. that involves spending them spending their money and giving it to you. Uh, I mean, for the most part, so yeah. that, that that as a concept in itself is a difficult one for me to get my head around. Yeah, I don't do as much advertising as I used to. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, anyway, moving on to my that moves me to onto my next question. Do you do still do touring or do not do I much of that? I can't. I can, I really miss it. Um, but at the same time, I don't miss the schlepping about and all the travel and stuff but I, yeah. I, I think the last gig i did I think it was the montreux jazz in i mean i've done some of those like the old festivals here and there but yeah I, you know in my earlier in my more formative sort of musical career i, I was i had like a residency uh, a bar like a jazz club that i played every night two sets a night for, for ages they yeah i think we got I think it was something like 30 quid and as many gin and tonics as you could handle. So okay, <laughs> work out great. So I think what I'm trying to say is that the, 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 and people are a lot more on top of this now, actually, but the, the mental impact on being out touring, being flights, early starts, late yes. finishes, the, 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 the constant to and fro. And it was really tiring. And I know it, it, this is coming from what seems like a privileged position to have been on all the tours and gone out all over the place. But I've, I've walked many miles in a touring musician's shoes and it, was just, it just became too tiring. Um, so I don't tour anymore. I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm not open to the idea, but it has to fit into my lifestyle and my yes. sort of like mental capacity and my wanting to protect my, you know, my mental health, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the audience only sees that one show. They think it's all glamorous and all, but it's hard work. It's not easy. Oh, on a plane, off a plane, different it. time zones, all sorts of things. It is. And I mean, even then, even, even I, I kind of inside things stop being so precious when I say these things out loud. But when you're in that moment and yep. you're sleep deprived, you, you, your, you know, your lobby call to get the next flight was half two in the morning when your gig finished at half eleven at night. Yeah. Because you're, you're in Austria and you need to be in France for the next TV mm -hmm. show at two in the afternoon. And these, these things happen. You're like, how do I, how do I keep going? How do I keep yeah, going? Yeah. And, and it, it, it is. And, you know, when you get to the, the top, the organization is much, much, much better. But what I tend to find, even though they were fairly successful tours, is that when they were being advanced, they were being advanced by people that were in LA who think that France and Austria is like a, a short tube journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we could get them into France and then Austria, and then we should be able to get them over to London the day. It's like, my God. And then, and then when you're on the ground making the moves, it's so tiring. <laughs> yeah, don't get me right. So, don't get me wrong. It was great fun great fun yeah, yeah, festival yeah. was great fun and i have very fond memories of it but i yeah touring is uh something that i would do with reticence or at least definitely for the right gig with the right people you mentioned mm -hmm. you do mentoring for other artists or younger artists what does that entail and do they approach you or you approach them 
what does that entail? That basically entails being honest and open enough to tell people where and when I made mistakes and they can choose to take that advice or not. Okay. <laughs> uh, as, as often we'll know, the only way to really learn a lesson is to make the mistake yourself. Exactly. But it is, I, I just found, okay, so, you know, full disclosure, I was diagnosed uh, ASD three years ago. I mean, obviously, as as we know, it's become a very uh, big thing within our industry. I think a lot of the things that I struggled with um, earlier in my career were kind of trying to operate within quite a, a neurotypical environment, being mm. neurodivergent without knowing it. <laughs> you know, the mistakes that I made a lot of the time were due to my uh, meltdowns that I didn't realise I was having and lack of understanding of how... Uh, how to uh, operate within that environment and my mentoring really has become very much about people that may be having similar experiences that aren't as far down their journey as myself okay and uh, you know that uh, happens a lot in music this idea of being able to hyper focus on one thing for a very concentrated amount of time to get that 10,000 hours in, even sometimes before the actual physical 10,000 hours. Like we said, there's a balance in everything, you know, to, to be given the ability to do one thing usually detracts from your ability to do other things. And for me, you know, there was a lot of stuff. I found myself now in hindsight being taken advantage of for my willingness to do things just because of the fact that I absolutely lived and breathed and loved music and then other people would be capitalizing on what i was doing and had the you know the guile (laughs) to monetize what i was doing or you know that take my work as whatever it was i'm not going to throw stuff out there but i my mentoring comes now is to and what we're doing actually we're actually partnering up with some quite um well known uh, people within the industry at the moment setting up a, se- a series of kind of talks to talk about how we can create a mental uh, toolkit mm. within the music industry uh, you know I've, I've even touched on the burnout and things like that i've, yeah. I've experienced awful that that idea of not being able to get up you just can't get up anymore so it's about seeing the signs it's not collecting too many red red flags before you fall over but seeing the signs and knowing what to do and how to go easy the the number of times people have said to me you know you need to go easy on yourself you need to be more forgiving of yourself now someone with my mindset (laughs) everything's about performance it's about kpis it's about am i doing better am i getting better and if there's that moment where you're not it can be debilitating so all of that and that's and again everything that i've said earlier kind of feeds into what we're trying to say now which is like think more macro think about how how you're doing in the whole think about how you're doing holistically you know how your health is how your creativity is how if you can get your mental health to a good state that your creativity will improve yeah. <laughs> with that because you're freeing up space to be creative when your mental health is messed up it's the negativity that stops you that it that stops you from being able to work. So my my mentoring process is about trying to help people understand how to break through brick walls when they hit them and stuff like just through my own experience. I am no doctor. I'm not saying this in any mm. way other than it's an experiential thing for me. It's like what have I done? How can I help? Yes. You're just talking about stuff with people as well. So exactly. I've, I've spoken for the MU. We're about to do something hopefully with Bapham. 
uh, we, we, where we've teamed up with one of the main uh, London lawyers. And it's it's about neurodivergence within, you know, the music community. And it's a, it's a space to be open and honest. That's generally what my mentoring entails, open okay. and honesty uh, and being very open about the mistakes I've made, where I've made them and how they impacted me. What's next on in your journey? What projects, anything you can speak about? We're about to make a feature film. I wrote the music to a kid's show called Rest and Mouse about 10, 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very popular. On, uh, it was on the BBC. And we've managed to get that into a, um, a film format. We've got scripts. We've got all the music together. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant musical film. We've got some incredible artists that we're collaborating with it on as well uh, which will all sort of unfold in the in the, the near future some great acting talent is actually very exciting because we're exec producing as well so again me and my business partner and the people that originally did the uh, bbc series the producers of the show we've kind of teamed up to take it into the onto the big screen so yeah that's super exciting i'm being more active within the kind of world of how kind of mentoring as well so we do much more of that i think it's a very good time especially with the potential toxicity of the social media around us especially in the neurodivergent mindset as well it is hellish i regular attend events by the, the social media kind of giants you know tiktoks and the likes and we, who have yet to really connect with what it's like to be neurodivergent and thrown into a world where the funnel of success is you know, to get to be successful, you have to have great social media stats. That's a prerequisite for music now. So we, I'm hopefully going to be working a lot in that field it's I'm quite passionate about that actually okay. yeah I am producing I've got so I'm producing I've got a couple of artists in at the moment and producing for there's actually there's a bunch of stuff so that's the sort of stuff that until the t's are crossed and the i's are dotted I'm not really at liberty to say of but course yes. of course yes. <laughs> always got some good things on the horizon so for now I'm, I'm writing every day I'm, I'm about to jump on to start a writing session now so okay, it's, cool. yeah so I, lo- I, I look forward to hearing all of that I love uh, this game um, my recipients don't always like it, and you'll understand why in a moment. Now, I know oh. if I had to ask you this question in two days, two hours, two weeks, two months, I know your answer will be different every time. But if you had to push play uh, to five songs by a variety of artists or different artists, once we finished this conversation, what would those five songs be and by whom? Really? Okay. Woo. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> wow. I would say Breathe by Pink Floyd. <laughs> okay um and then i would oh my word and then after that i would you can see i'm an old soul head here because i, I would i would probably throw on lovely day by bill withers as well okay well, songs that make me feel good these are all ones that kind of open my chest born slippy underworld okay <laughs> it's about that uh that reminds me of a lot Step on by the Happy Mondays, and because I'm an old man at heart as well, I'd say the only one I love by the um, Charlatans. The only one I know, sorry, by the Charlatans. There you go. That's a bit of a mix. Nothing very modern, but no, that's cool. I I love playing this game because I love hearing people's responses. Yeah, it gives me evokes such a memory. Do you know what it is? Memory through songs for me. I can it takes me right into the room, and they're happy places though. Yeah. So So Mm. the podcast is listened to throughout the world. As a final message, what would you like to say to the audience? (laughs) <laughs> That's the big question, isn't it? What would you like to say? I'd like to say, uh, keep weird. 
Please just keep weird. <laughs> keep weird. Keep Love it. Weird. I'm a, I, I fit. I fit into that category. Keep <laughs> so, <laughs> weird. It's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, guys, as Andrew says, keep weird, stay weird, and keep going. Mm-hmm.